Darling is a 2015 film written and directed by Mickey Keating. It stars Lauren Ashley Carter, Brian Morvent, and Sean Young. The music was composed by Giona Ostinelli. Darling was suggested to me by Prasicor, who makes incredible paleo illustrations and great horror stories. Check out his stuff in the description below. I'm really happy that Prasicor suggested this film because it completely blindsided me. I haven't had a viewing experience quite like this one in a while, and that's always really refreshing. Darling is a very visual and auditory film, which sounds stupid as I say it, but I mean that what you see and what you hear is much more important than what story is being told. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. It would be difficult for me to make any spoilers because there is little to nothing in this story to spoil. The blurb just tells you everything that is going to happen, and almost everything is foreshadowed in the first 10 minutes. Describing it as such makes it sound very unappealing, and I'm acutely aware of this. But again, the story isn't important, the experience is. It's really difficult to describe this movie, but that's the aim of this podcast, so I'm going to do my best. I need to talk about this story at least a little because it is a framing device for the music and visuals. Big shocker, I know. The plot is incredibly stripped down. It is intentionally a very basic haunted house story with a focus on demon possession. That's really it. Woman watches house for rich person. Woman starts hearing and seeing things. Woman slowly goes crazy. Death and dismemberment happen. There is no deep mystery. There is no prior knowledge you need going in. What is important is that this film is broken up into six chapters. Each chapter doesn't have its own special musical score per se, but I will be mentioning the chapter format a little going forward. You can break down the score of Darling into three categories. 1. Piano music and pre-recorded songs. 2. Horror ambience. 3. Mundane objects. Two of these elements as they are used are not especially memorable or innovative, but I think that was the point. The film is in black and white, which should be used more often in my opinion, and the score is similarly very basic. There's little nuance, but the starkness of the score is intentional and mostly effective. Let's start with the piano music and pre-recorded songs. Light, moody piano provided by Sonia Belosova accompanies our character as she takes her first walk through the house. It comes back now and then, but never in any major way to suggest a theme. It ranges from soft to shrill depending on the scene, but it never feels like the focus of anything. Violins are used in the same fashion, often in extreme dissonance, something you hear in a lot of modern as well as classic horror movies. This movie feels utterly devoted to the idea of what if we made a horror film today that looks and sounds like a horror film from 40 years ago? What stands out more are the pre-recorded songs. There's only four in total, so let's break them down briefly. Look Away Love by J. Ramsey and the Contempos is a doo-wop number. The brief lyrics we are given in the film speak to someone who has recently experienced a breakup. Love has come knocking again, but the singer isn't ready, the wound still fresh from their previous partner. It is played as our protagonist is putting on makeup before meeting with the man she has been stalking. This doesn't make a lot of sense given the limited context, but it does if you watch the movie. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Damn. I guess there are some spoilers I don't want to make. Either way, what is notable is that even this lovely song is decayed in pitch and broken apart by the sound designers in a deliberate move to display corruption and horror. Arguably the biggest and most prevalent motif in Darling is the use of quick cuts, often in rapid succession to make a strobe effect. 
Violent images are spliced between nonviolent frames constantly. The music and sound are also cut up to match. You can read into this different ways, but on its face, the deliberate message is that there is something wrong with our protagonist, be it possession or some troubled alter ego. Whether or not this technique is effective is very difficult to say. It is certainly thematic and well-paced, but it doesn't really read as a jump scare. It just shows up whenever the main character is undergoing psychological trauma, and we as the audience are meant to share in. Oh, I should mention, there's a seizure warning at the beginning of this film for a reason. The next two tracks, La Femme and Piaf Chante, which translates to The Woman or Girl or Wife and Piaf Sang, respectively, are more romantic songs used to contrast with the horrific stalking, seduction, murder, and dismemberment that accompanies the last third of the movie. The composers are duos Marion Benoit with Fred DeFred and Elizabeth Conyard with Eric Gemsa. That's all there really is to say about those two tracks. I don't find any deep meaning or symbolism via their usage. However, they work just fine. The last pre-recorded song is Ildjorn is Dead, written by Peter Majors, James L. Brown II, and Sandor Finther, performed under their moniker, the Los Angeles black metal band Harasor. And uh, if you don't know what black metal sounds like, well... That's me throwing some black metal together. Yodjarn is Dead is thrown at the audience during the title screen for Chapter 4, titled Demon. Black metal is a very apt choice, as its history is steeped in Satanism, murder, violence, church burnings, and more. It is a harsh, atmospheric style of extreme metal, and its abruptness, while short-lived, is an effective wake-up call to the audience. To me, it defiantly states that the possession is real, the possession is complete, and there is no going back. Moving on to Category 2, Horror Ambience, there's not much to say. It's made up of very airy pads and sometimes screeching synths, and while unremarkable, is used effectively. I'm getting a little tired of saying that, but I honestly don't know how else to express it. The ambience builds in frequency more and more as the protagonist's insanity grows. My guess is that the ambience is meant to be evocative of classic psychological horror flicks like Psycho, in no subtle terms. It's very easy for me to harp on films like Don't Breathe and A Quiet Place for being lazy with their horror ambience, usually because they have a sizable budget compared to Darling's. While I'm not excusing laziness due to constraints and art from adversity is always possible, Darling's minimal score feels deliberate and realized, whereas other movies just phone it in. So while I can't say much on the ambience in Darling, I can say that it's a good fit. The good fit. The good fit. The good fit. The good fit. Yep. Still tired of saying that. What is most memorable and impactful to me and Darling is Category 3, Mundane Objects. Doors slamming, chairs creaking, light bulbs popping, phones ringing, and a singular clock ticking. Always used in relative silence, these sounds are poignant and serve a purpose greater than just startling the audience. They are extensions of the house itself. The house is the greatest antagonist to Darling, our titular character. It drives her insane or at least encourages her insanity. The owner tells Darling in the beginning that the house will take care of her, and it certainly does, just not in the way we normally consider. Through very tropey loud noises, the house leads Darling through its chambers, showing and taunting her with visions. Eventually, the hallucinations become so real that we can no longer discern if Darling is herself or some other personality, hell-bent on revenge. The sounds are always synced perfectly with a grave image or well-placed reaction following up the startle with well-paced tension. 
The starkness of these sounds is the real horror of the film for me. It reminds me of, believe it or not, a Goosebumps video game called Escape from Horrorland that I played many years ago on PC. You are trapped in a horror theme park, constantly stalked by a werewolf, and you must save your friends by solving puzzles. Most of the game is rather cheesy in Goosebumps fashion, but one scene always stayed with me. The campy horror soundtrack stops the minute you step inside the werewolf's house. The rooms are trashed, presumably from when the werewolf turned and lashed out in rage at his human belongings. As you slowly pan around the room, you see that pictures are torn, furniture destroyed. The eerie silence is broken only by a single, ticking clock. Over and over it ticks, filling your ears and putting you on edge. You see, as this game was from the 90s, it wasn't great at hiding when scenes were going to change. The songs would abruptly cut before a jump scare. The town center was always safe, and the music told you as much. And there was always something in the background for the most part. But this scene just had that clock. Distracting, unnerving, and confusing. The game's tone shifted from campy to legitimately creepy and tragic. You had no idea what you were going to find in that room or who was in it with you. Darling employs this same technique with a clock. It sits in the middle of the bottom floor of the house, next to the only phone. When a scene takes place near it, that's almost all you hear. Time ticking away at any number of things. The countdown to insanity? The duration of the film? A simple reminder of the impending phone calls from the owner of the house? It's not really clear, but it instills a certain feeling of dread and anxiety. I could give more examples on how mundane objects are used to create tension, but we're getting to that point where I tell you to watch the movie on Netflix. It's not even 80 minutes long, and I'd love to hear what other people thought of it. Darling is an interesting, purposefully small film meant to celebrate and relive the classics of old while trying to do its own thing. If that assumption was the objective of Mr. Keating, then I think he achieved it well. Darling is a good track. Not one you'll be able to buy and listen to, but one you just need to experience in conjunction with the visuals. I admire soundtracks like this because it transcends the usual tepid fare we get. It manages to stand out while being very unremarkable. A contradiction in terms, but one I say with sincerity. Do yourself a favor and give it a watch. Whether you are a veteran musician, movie buff, or just curious about scary music, thank you for giving this podcast a listen. If you would like me to review a particular film, artist, video game, or other piece of scary sounds, please leave a comment or message me on Twitter at abysmi, A-B-Y-S-M-I-I. Trick or Track is a part of creativehorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com.